excuse me. Hi, I'm Chris. Real grateful member of Al-Anon and Al-Anon team as a sponsor. And I love Sunday morning. The room's not completely full. You have no idea how excited I am about that. <laughs> it's less pressure. Um, and, of course, I brought all my props. And uh, I, I have to talk about them, even though I may not use them, just here for moral support, even though I have a lot of wonderful friends in the audience and, and people that I've gotten to know this weekend. Yeah. And I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you. Um, but this is a this is a warm fuzzy, and uh, usually at the end of my talk I'll talk a little bit about service, and I'll talk a little bit about NOCAC, the annual Allison conference. But one of the ways we help people feel comfortable when they first come to the conference is to greet them by giving them this warm fuzzy that's made with love um, from members in the fellowship. And as we greet each other, we hug each other, and we exchange a fuzzy from each other's little strands and each other's balls and represents all the hugs we got that weekend. And it's a real contest to see if you can get rid of all the fluff, you know. But uh, this year, one of our members made them extra big and fluffy, so it was really hard to get rid of all the, the sands. But they're just really, really special, and it reminds me of all the love um, from the Alateen Conference. And uh, I have a, well, we might, use, we might need this if I get too serious. We'll, we'll find out later what that is. Um, and then this is a, a, I have a, I may, I will probably talk later about my turtle, but um, uh, the turtle is a, a, a spirit animal for me and a big part of my recovery, um, a big part of my story. And an Alateen and a sponsor gave this to me one weekend at an assembly when I was in a lot of pain over um, my feelings and reactions to somebody else's feelings. So this is a reminder of that. And, uh, and then, of course, I have my dad with me. And um, that's probably a good place to start. Um, but I want to thank the committee for asking me to speak. And, uh, you know, it's beautiful and just incredible and humbling being here in Yosemite. Um, when I first got into recovery about 20 years ago, I came to the conference with my husband. And, uh, you know, we weren't as connected into the fellowship then, and so we didn't come to all the meetings and we came to a few, and we really spent a lot of time in the valley and, and enjoyed Yosemite. But I always remembered um, how powerful it was to be here. And last year, I got to come again for the first time with my sponsor in a long time, and I just had an incredible time. So it was a real honor when the committee asked me to speak, and uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to be here and share my experience, strength, and hope with you. And I never know. You know, I've come a long way in 20 years when it, when it comes to speaking, I used to, you know, have it all written down and read it and shake up here like crazy and uh, read a lot from a book. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess it's progress, not perfection. And today I can actually get up here and just talk. And, uh, and, and that feels really good. And because of that, I really don't know what I'm going to say. But I leave that up to my higher power. And I know today that um, no matter what I say, um, it's going to come from the heart. And uh, even if I only connect with one of you in the room, it's going to be worth it. So, thanks. Um, so, I always tell the kids, as an Alateen sponsor, you know, when they get up and share for the first time, keep it simple. <laughs> tell what it's like before, what it's like now, and why you keep coming back. And, um, you know, that's always a good one for me, too. So, um, what it's like before. You know, I uh, actually came into the program more than 20 years ago. I was, um, I grew up in an alcoholic home, 
And uh, my father was the first alcoholic in my life. Although growing up, I had no idea that he was an alcoholic until somebody labeled him as such um, in a recovery um, institution. And, uh, you know, I was just really confused. I really didn't know. I felt, um, you know, there was a lot of fighting at home. Um, there wasn't a lot of violence. Um, you know, the closest thing that came to violence was an occasional slap across the face, uh, which was detrimental enough. Um, and uh, my mother was really fond. Um, my father gave me alcoholic and, and really having checked out, usually once he got home, he would usually drink and pass out. My mother was the disciplinarian in the family. And um, she did the best she could, and I know that today. And uh, her way of disciplining us was the way she was disciplined growing up in Germany. And uh, she had a favorite wooden spoon, and that was her that was her disciplinary stick. <laughs> and my brother and I, um, you know, were we never wanted to anger my mother because um, she really let it flow when she got upset. And uh, there was always that wooden spoon. And uh, but we always tried to be good kids. You know, I learned really early on not to rock the boat, um, to be a people pleaser, and to take care of things and people around me so things didn't get upset. Um, and at a very young age, I, you know, thought that I had some power and control and that I could help make things better in my family. And so um, I was like a little adult, you know, running around, being responsible, doing this, doing that. And uh, it just um, wasn't a lot of fun, as many of us know. And uh, it's... Uh, you know, I, I, one of the ways that I tried to excel and to get those thank yous and those kudos and those, those, um, you know, to get people to like me was to do well in school, even if it was just for my teachers. Um, I did really well in school and, uh, I studied really hard. Um, I stayed away from the kids that got into trouble. Although I had a moment, well, we'll talk about that later. I get into college, I start to hang out with the kids to get into trouble because they were a lot more fun. And, um, but I, um, you know, it, it was hard, you know, there was just, you know, I could, it never felt like I could feel my feelings, um, you know, there was a lot of sadness in the house, there was a lot of anger in the house, um, and uh, no one seemed to be happy. Um, at a very young age, I can remember, my brother was five years younger than me, and um, I remember um, he was probably... Oh gosh, maybe six, seven, and uh, he stopped smiling, and he stopped celebrating Christmas. When it came time for Christmas, he would not celebrate with the family. And um, you know, for me, I was like, you know, keeping things, keeping the peace, and was like, well, let's go about the motions. Maybe inside, deep inside, I didn't feel like it, but I would still do it. And um, but he, he wasn't about pretending how he felt. He um, he showed everybody how he felt. And, um, you know, I respect him today for that, for being able to just be how he, how he was. And, um, you know, so we, you know, watching my parents fight, my brother and I um, fought a lot. We never had a very close relationship. And uh, there was five years between us. You know, when he was little, it was great because, you know, I could help take care of him. I could be like little mommy and, you know, give him a bath and dress him up. But then he got older. Oh, yeah, then he got older, and I had to take him everywhere and babysit him, and, you know, it just, it wasn't a lot of fun, but I did it, and, um, you know, he wasn't in a very 
grateful place and being where he was at. And, um, you know, I never really understood then um, that he was just doing the best he could, too. And I really took it personal. I really felt my brother didn't love me growing up. And uh, we got to resolve that later on. And, uh, you know, it was just part of the family disease. You know, just the relationships, they just, they just weren't the same. And um, I didn't have a very good relationship with my mother either growing up. My mother was um, very critical. Um, you know, she was struggling to, to make it work for, for both, for all of us. You know, she worked really hard. Um, made sure we got to school. We had food to eat. She made clothes for us. Um, she was incredible. And... Um, you know, um, she she had a hard time having grown up in a family of 13. She was the youngest in Germany, and um, you know had to deal with a lot. And uh, so she didn't know how to ask for things. And so there was always that that um, we just had to know. We just had to be mind readers to know what she wanted. She didn't have the ability to express to us. You know, I want you to do she, no boundaries, no structure, right? So it was just, you know, we weren't sure what mom wanted, but if we didn't do what mom wanted, we knew we were going to be in trouble. And, um, and my dad was off working when he wasn't drinking and, um, you know, doing the best he could. He had a, a great business and uh, was very successful uh, early on. And then his disease uh, progressed, as it does. And um, he was unable to work towards the end. And um, it... Uh, it got really, it got worse. And by the time it got worse, I was getting ready to graduate from high school and getting ready to go on to college. And, uh, you know, my dad was home a lot. He wasn't at work a lot. And uh, we, um, you know, my mother was still working. And my brother was really checked out, really checked out. And uh, so, you know, we... Um, I didn't know what to do for my dad. Um, at that time, I didn't even really understand what was going on, but I'll never forget the day that 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 I finally got it. Um, love you, too. Oh, yeah. I bought my own box. That's, that's a codependent for you. I bought my own box of tissues. But they have one, of course. <laughs> um, you know, his disease had gotten really bad, and um, he had um, he had tried different things. He had gone in and out of some recovery places, and um, but we, as a family, hadn't really been involved at all. And uh, it wasn't until he tried to kill himself one day, and um, he called me, and uh, he said goodbye. It scared me really bad. I knew something was wrong, and so I rushed home. And I got to him before he died. And uh, he was trying to, uh, I forget the word, but he was trying to kill himself. Carbon monoxide in the car, in the garage. And, uh, you know, it was a big guy, and um, I don't know how I did it, but he, I dragged him out of the car and through the garage and uh, got him somehow to the bedroom and he passed out and uh, I checked he was still breathing and then I called my mother and I told her what had happened 
And at first, she was really angry because she was at work and she was going to have to try to figure out how to get off and come home. And um, But she did. And uh, she came home and uh, that's when, you know how living with an alcoholic, you get to that point. Well, this was like a really big point for my mother as well. And um, she insisted that he get into treatment at this point in time. And uh, we took him over to the hospital and checked him into the hospital treatment program, which is no longer there, unfortunately. It was a great program. And uh, so they had a family program. And uh, that's when I first learned out all about alcoholism. And that's when I finally had a label for my father. And uh, he stayed there for 30 days. And uh, while we were there, um, we got to do some family meetings. And there was another woman, woman and daughter in the program. My mother made the decision that my brother was too young, even though he was um, in grade school, and that he didn't need to be there. Um, and uh, so but she and I went. And... Um, we, you know, they talked about alcoholism and what it was and, and what he was going through. And I was just relieved that, you know, I was just so relieved to finally understand what was wrong with my father. And um, I always knew something was wrong. And even though I know in school they talked about drugs and alcohol, they never talked about alcoholism. And, uh, you know, so I didn't didn't have a way to understand it. Finally, I did. And... Um, you know, I just wanted to help them. I just wanted to figure out how I could help them to help them get better. And uh, they told us that we needed to go to um, Al-Anon meetings, and so we went to our first meeting, um, my mother and I, and uh, and that eventually became my home meeting. Uh, it was a Sunday evening meeting right there at the hospital. And uh, so, you know, my father, you know, it wasn't quite his time yet, you know, they, you know, I know today for myself, having um, known a few alcoholics, that, uh, you know, it has to be their decision to get get sober and find recovery, um, not the family's decision. And uh, so he got through the treatment, but he went out again a couple times and tried a couple different things um, before he was able to, um, to find his way to reach his bottom. Um, but I want to step back because while we were in that recovery house and in the treatment program, there was a woman there. Oh God, I couldn't stand her. There's a woman, and she, she, um, but I always remember her. So obviously, I heard her message because she had a really strong message for me, and I've never forgotten it. But she had been married and divorced three or four times to alcoholics, and her current husband was there in the treatment center at the same time as my father. And she uh, and her daughter was with her, and and so I thought I felt that similarity. And then we were going around the room and we're talking, and and um, you know I just I didn't have a lot to say, but you know you got to remember I'm I'm a young adult. I'm between high school and college, and I think I have all the answers. And I finally understand my father's sick, and I don't have any concept at all that I've been affected by the disease. And um, I've got a lot of arrogance. And um, and I share that, you know, I'm so glad to have all this information. And, um, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm grateful because I'm never going to marry an alcoholic. And um, and she looked at me. <laughs> and you got to remember, this isn't an alum on me. This is a treatment center with a facilitator, so there's crosstalk, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> and um, she says, honey, and I hate that word to this day. 
understand it when someone calls me honey. <laughs> Especially at that age. It was like, oh, God. And uh, she says, honey, you're going to marry an alcoholic. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not. And she says, yeah, you are, because it's what's familiar to you. And I'm like, oh, no. So I made a pact with myself that no, no, no. Just because, you know, she says that doesn't mean it's going to happen. I have all this information. So, you know, my father goes in and out, and um, I go into college. I did meetings for a little while, but, you know, once he felt, I felt like he was starting to get better, it was too hard for me to get to me. I made all kinds of excuses. I didn't think I really needed to be in meetings anymore, so I didn't go. Because you got to remember, I never went to meetings for myself to begin with. I went for him. So, he finally, actually, I got to jump ahead because I actually got into the program before he did. So, you know, I'm doing college, doing my thing, and my friends are dating, and, and um, you know, I didn't, uh, didn't do a lot of that. And, uh, but they were starting to get married and go off. And I met a few couple guys and while I was in college and, and, uh, it was, it was okay. And I had a, a really bad upset with one guy in college. But, um, I finally, as I, as I came out of college, I was just finishing up. My, my family had a business and our manager quit. They had an upset with my father. Not, not too uncommon. Um, but uh, they had a big disagreement, and this was the last straw, and so she, they quit just on the spot, no notice. And it was one of those live-in managers where you had to have somebody there. And um, I was still living at home and going to college at the same time. And I can't remember now. I'm pretty sure my father might have been sober at the time, but, you know, this was those early years. It was really tough. And um, I looked at this as an opportunity to get out of the house. I was like, I'm not sure. It's like, oh, I'll do it. And they're like, no, 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 you can't do it. You're you're single, young, female. You can't go and stay there and take care of all the tenants and all that stuff. And I go, oh, yes, I can. I can do it. And that'd be a good opportunity for me because I was a business changer, right? And this was a business and, you know, my parents wouldn't let me do it. So there was this older man that I met in the program the one year I went. And he was looking for a place to move because he was going through a divorce and had two kids. And he needed a place to stay. So I went and talked to him. I said, hey, I got this opportunity. My parents won't let me do this. There's two rooms. You take one room, I'll take the other, and maybe they'll let me do this. And he says, okay. And I said, you don't have to worry. I'll do all the work. <laughs> got a member still really sick, right? So I present the idea to my parents. They don't even know this guy. They've never even met him. But I told them, you know, I met him in the program. And my dad's thinking, oh, I might be okay, right? So... You know, so I, we end up moving in, right? And as soon as they said yes, we had this big yellow banana van at the time, and uh, which we used for camping, and I had started using it for some things. And I piled everything in my bedroom into that van to the ceiling. As soon as they said yes, that night, I think it was midnight by the time I got down there, I was gone. I couldn't wait. And um, I was finally on my own, so to speak. But I really wasn't on my own. Because you got to remember, I was working for my parents. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> uh, especially when the family was in recovery. <laughs> um, it was hard. It was hard. Um, and there were a lot of arguments and disagreements. And they had a hard time believing that I could do it. And uh, but, I, but I did for a while. And that guy stayed with me for a while. And then he moved on after a year or two. And it was fine. I was running the park by myself. And um, 
And I enjoyed it because it gave me some independence. So while I was there, I met, I met an incredible man that, um, you know, he was just a friend. He was just there. You know, the, the, it, 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 the guys had a book for how to get to me. What it would have said was, you know, just be her friend. You know, you might cook for her. You might do a lot of different things for her, but don't rush her, okay? And um, he did all those things. <laughs> he offered to cook for me, cook for a living, and he was always helping out around the park. And and um, I just thought he was this really nice guy. And um, he was just really sweet. And they asked me out finally. We went to a movie, and he was just, he was just wonderful. And... Um, you know, I was starting to fall in love with him. And I never met anybody like him that just accepted me for me. You know, I was, I was you know, always busy doing this work. And, and I did a lot of volunteer work in the community at the time. And um, he just was very accepting. And uh, I should have had an indicator when I go to collect the rent, when I open the trailer door, that all the beer cans came out. But there might be a problem. But I was complete denial that there was any kind of a problem. And, um, you know, so we started dating, and within a short period of time, he proposed to me. <laughs> and uh, you got to remember, I have no recovery, right? And um, I'm thinking he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And at that time in my life, I didn't even know the concept of no. I didn't even know who I was. And here was somebody who loved me. So I said yes. And, um, and he, he really, truly loved me. And... Um, so I, um, you know, and then we, of course, he moved in, and then life really starts, right? And, uh, you know, it wasn't very long before I started to realize that there were some problems. And uh, I confronted him one day, and he was under the influence. And, um, you know, I didn't have to worry about him denying there was a problem. He was openly <laughs> admitted he was an alcoholic. <laughs> and I'm like, does my whole family are alcoholics? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> what did I tell myself a long time ago? Um, what do I need to do? But I had fallen in love with an alcoholic. And um, I wasn't willing to walk away. And uh, But I knew where to go. I finally was ready to admit that I must be really crazy. There must be really something wrong with me. And I went straight to an on me. <laughs> And that was 20 years ago. And uh, and I kept going ever since. And uh, those first early years were really hard. And the program uh, kept me going. Um, there's still a lot of active drinking for several years. And uh, I always had this, um, you know, the, 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 so, my husband is so much like my father. They're both just incredible men. They work really hard very interesting, loving, caring, um, and they drink. They have this disease called alcoholism. And um, they even drink the thing. You know, they're periodic drinkers. <laughs> and uh, neither of them are violent. And uh, they're both just really incredible people that are sick. And um, about a year after I got into recovery and started working the steps, my father hit his bottom. Uh, he nearly killed himself driving home drunk one night and hit a parked car. And uh, he'd been exposed enough to the program, and, um, you know, somehow he came to. He actually drove himself home. Nobody, nobody caught him. <laughs> and uh, he got through that one, and he said, you know, it's 
he really needed to get to the program, and that's when he did. And uh, so I was used to kid him because I told him, I've got one more year than you. <laughs> but it was a great time because we um, we got to talk about program, um, not during those early years because, you know, we're both still having a lot of feelings about stuff and dealing with stuff and, and um, you know, he had a lot of stuff going on. I had a lot of stuff going on. And um, I hadn't really gotten in touch with all my anger from growing up and feelings that I had. But um, I think somebody at his memorial said it fast. I love what they said. Um, he had 16, 17 years of sobriety when he died and um, had a chance to do a healing with all the family and with me. And, um, you know, and towards the end, it was, we would talk about program. I was, I was still working. He actually had taken over the business by this time and um, I would come and do the books and have lunch with him each day from work and we would sit and talk um, and it was really powerful and um, he uh, you know one of the guys at his memorial said you know you, you gotta like Frank because he uh, those early years what did they call him he said they called him they had three names for him he was um, Jerry Frank those first few years in recovery, and um, which I could really relate to, um, but I never knew what he was going to say. He was still very controlling um, and angry and emotional those early years, and then um, and then he became Donut Frank. <laughs> he did a lot of service. He picked guys up, taking the meetings, and we'd have donuts and coffee. And uh, you should have seen all the coffee pots after he died. We had a whole collection of them. Um, and then he became Father Frank. He sponsored a lot of guys in the program. And um, I'm really grateful that he's my dad. And uh, and then he found this program, and that AA was there for him. And um, so, you know, and he really, you know, about halfway through, about seven years into um, my relationship with my husband, you know, I went to meetings, and he was kind of trying to do his own thing, struggling with, with how to stay sober and, and, um, you know, I, I tried to stay out of his way, stay off his back, and just focus on myself. I had a lot of my own stuff I had to deal with from my childhood and uh, so that I could become a whole person. And, um, you know, so I went to meetings for myself. And uh, oh, I learned to trust. And um, when I walked in those rooms, I didn't talk the first year to people. I was full of a lot of shame, um, a lot of guilt. And uh, I haven't really gotten in touch with my anger yet. That took a few more years. Um, but I, uh, you know, I just, I was in a lot of pain. But when I went in those rooms, I just felt better. I just felt better. I didn't feel so crazy and alone. And uh, so I kept coming back. And the very first night I walked in the meeting, that night when I was so committed and knew where I needed to be, <laughs> they were having their, um, and I got there early, right? Because I didn't remember what time the meeting was. I just know I needed to be there. I got there really early. <laughs> and they were having a business meeting before the meeting, which I always think is a great idea to have it early rather than after. But um, they were doing service positions, and, and uh, you know, they, they needed someone to do coffee and tea, and no one was raising their hand. And I'm like, oh, God, somebody raise their hand. You know, oh, I can do it. I'll do it. Can I do it? And... Um, you know, so you got to remember, I don't know how to say no. <laughs> Part of my disease. <laughs> so, uh, 
No, I said, I said yes a lot. But the beautiful part about that was it kept me connected to the fellowship. And um, it kept me coming back. Because I'll be damned if you weren't going to have your coffee and tea at the meeting. Because that was really important, right? Like life or death? Wrong. But that's how I felt. And that's okay. Because that's, that's what I needed. That's what I needed to keep me connected. And it was just one service position after another. And um, each time I got to learn and grow. And uh, it just, uh, you know, it just, and I got to, and then I, you know, after a year I got to feel my feelings. Somebody finally, so I'd seen me enough in the meetings. I wouldn't bolt for the door. I would kind of hang out a little bit to see if anybody would come up to me. And um, there was this guy, he, I never know what happened to him, but he would sit in the room and um, he had all the, the readings memorized. And when it, when he would pick one up, he wouldn't have to read it. He would have it completely memorized. And um, he was a little scary looking. Um, he'd been homeless. But every week he would come up to me and he would give me a piece of literature. And he would tell me to keep coming back. And he'd been suicidal a couple times. And then after a while we didn't see him anymore. And I don't know what happened to him. So I'll never forget him. I'll never forget the message that he gave me as a newcomer and how welcome he made me feel. And I try and do that today. Because it's hard being a newcomer walking in the room and feeling all those feelings and not knowing what to do with them. And then, of course, there's those people when we walk in the room, we think we're going to get all the answers and make the alcohol it's over. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> and we realize we have to do the work ourselves to get better. And then sometimes the miracles, they do happen. So, um, anyways, I, I did a lot of service, but the one thing that helped connect me to the group, if you're feeling like you're isolating in a group or you're in a new area, the one thing that finally connected me to the people in the room was to share the meeting. And I was scared to death. But, uh, you know, I thought everyone was doing it, so okay, they asked me to do it. And of course, I didn't know how to say no, so I said yes. And um, I was really scared, and I got my book, and... You know, I read a little bit, and I was shaken. And, uh, but I'll tell you, it was a beautiful thing. Because all those people came up to me after the meeting and started talking to me. And then I started talking to them. And I didn't feel so different. Because even though I was in those rooms, and I'd hear you talk about some of the same feelings that I had, and your experiences may have been a little different, I still felt different. I still had that terminal uniqueness. And that's a big part, and the reason the big reason why is a, a big part of my story that I haven't talked about yet. But sometimes I talk about, and sometimes I don't. And um, and I think I will. Um, maybe I can do this. Um, you know, we're only as thick as our secrets, and the program has taught me that um, it's okay to feel, it's okay to share, and I've learned to trust people in these rooms because that's how I healed my life and uh, healed myself by talking about what I've gone through and then talking about the miracles and the recovery. And one of the things, you know, there's a lot of different things that we deal with growing up in an alcoholic home, and one of the things that I had to deal with was incest. I was sexually abused by my father for over eight years of my life, and that had a huge toll on my emotional well-being and self-esteem. And um, I gave up on my higher power, I didn't think anybody was there for me, and, um, you know, I just didn't understand. 
and uh, you know I couldn't even get angry. And uh, but I but I talk about this um, because I, we don't hear about it a lot. And um, I'll never forget the first time I finally didn't feel so terminally unique. And that's when some of them might share that they were an incest survivor also and had been abused by their father, who was an alcoholic. And it had a really profound effect on me because I thought, oh, I'm really not that different. You know? And look, she's doing her life, and I can do mine. And, um, you know, I know I don't have any... any um, anger towards my parents. I know they did the best they could. And, um, but I did have to get in touch with my feelings and my anger. And the, the program, as wonderful as it was, wasn't enough. I had to do some therapy um, to get through some of that. And I did outside therapy to help me um, with that part of my story. And, um, and that was okay. That's what I needed to do. And uh, but I, um, in fact, my first sponsor, you know, they say, <laughs> you know, I listen to all of you say, you know, find somebody you like that has something you want and, you know, ask them to be your sponsor. And I'd been around a year and a half. And and uh, I went up to her and she'd done the steps and I really wanted to do the steps because I felt like that was the way that was going to give me relief. And uh, and so she agreed and we met and we got through the first three steps. And, and she was a dual member, so she used the big book also. And that was okay with me. I, I didn't have a problem with that. And... Um, she helped me find my higher power again um, because I I didn't want to believe that there was something out there greater than myself and um, I had to literally get down on my knees for 30 days and act as if that there was something out there greater than myself and then wait for the miracle and be open and aware enough and listen and just wait and it did happen for me silly little things you know but it did happen for me and I had to just keep practicing I had to just keep practicing and in the beginning my higher power was the group and then it became the ocean and then it became this little guy that, that I saw on the meditation one day with a beard um, I don't know um, but you know my, my, my spirituality my concept of a higher power has grown as I've grown and today I'm just really grateful that I have and believe in a power greater than myself and that there's something else greater than me because there's no greater thing than being able to take something and not just carry it and think I have to carry it and fix it and control it to be able to just let it go to just turn it over and when I can do that life is better, the day is better and I can stop and do that anytime and I use the serenity prayer a lot we use it a lot in Alice too um, and um, you know it's a powerful thing and uh, so I but when we get to the fourth step uh, the dreaded fourth step. And I'm finally going to have to talk about everything. And um, I don't think up to that point that I really talked about my childhood much in the meetings. I talked about other stuff about my childhood. And uh, so when I finally shared with my sponsors and things, it was really hard for her. And she suggested I get another sponsor. And I was devastated. And um, I thought, oh, God, here comes this woe is me. Nobody likes me. Nobody loves me feeling again. And um, so I thought, well, okay. But then it took me a while. I couldn't get another sponsor. You know, I was stuck. I felt really stuck. But I kept going to meetings. I didn't give up there. But I met some other women in the program. 
and other actually people in the program that were doing 12-step study workshops. And I thought, why do you steps with them? So I met with a group of, oh, I must have been 30, 40 of us, I don't know, a huge group of people, and then we broke into little groups, and I did the steps that way for the first time. And it was powerful, and it wasn't maybe as thorough as it would be with someone one-on-one, but it was a beginning for me, and I got stuff out. And uh, it was good. And I met women there in that, that big group, and we formed our own step study group, and we met once a week. And I worked the steps with them again two or, two or three other times. And each time they got deeper and stronger for me. And um, so I felt like I was doing it without a sponsor. I don't recommend it. <laughs> um, and uh, But that's how it worked for me. And uh, all the time I was still doing service work. And... Um, you know, about then, somewhere in there, my, my husband and I, uh, yeah, let's get back to the husband for a minute. Um, so, um, my husband and I, um, you know, we've been doing this business for a family, and it gotten really hard. My parents have been really controlling, and difficult and so we finally realized it wasn't working and we had to find some place else to live. So we found a place of our own and moved out and we left the business and my mother took over the business. That was her turn. <laughs> and uh and we started, you know, kept working and doing our lives. And I have to tell you, after my husband admitted to me that he was an alcoholic and his whole family were alcoholic, I um it gave me pause. It scared me. It's what got me back into the program to really take care of myself. And I'm so grateful for that. And I believe my husband and I have come together for a reason. We're on each on our own path and each have our own higher power. But together, I believe we're stronger. And we've had opportunities. And, and it's helped us walk our paths. And um, But I wasn't sure I wanted to marry him at first. And I thought, okay, if you get sober, then I'll marry you. And um, and that just didn't happen, right, right away. And uh, and then I thought, well, I love you, and I have the program. I can do this. And um, maybe I'll be different, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I'll go to meetings, and, you know, if you had cancer, I'd still marry you, so... You know, and then this woman, this other woman on the program said something really profound one day in the meeting. She said, you know, it's really easy to walk away from a difficult situation. But there's a lot of growth to be had for staying in a situation and working it through. And um, it really stuck with me. And you've got to remember, my husband's not violent. He's just a sweet, lovable guy that drinks. And... Um, so I agreed to marry him. I married an alcoholic. And uh, it wasn't easy at first. And there were times when I could just forget. And, uh, you know, I did my meetings. And, and he struggled with his sobriety. And uh, we lived our lives. And, and then he, we finally came to a head. Actually, right before I finally came to a head, we, um, I had finally come to a place in my program where I was so pissed off and angry with my father. And um, I finally had gotten in touch with that anger. And um, so I wasn't speaking with him. When we moved, I didn't give him our phone number. He didn't know where we were. And I kept my distance for the first time ever. 
and uh, and I had to do that. Um, but about a year or so into that, he got really sick and was hospitalized and was was dying in the hospital, and I didn't want to I didn't want to have him die without being able to say goodbye. So I went to the hospital and stayed with him a week, thinking this was it, and I watched. I watched all these guys from AA come in one at a time in groups just loving him and encouraging him and um he had his his chip was due while he was in the hospital and the guys all brought it to him and uh and I guess it get in touch with some more compassion for my father and uh and being there in the hospital, we got to do some amends, too. And uh, my father, I understand, he had a blackout after he tried to kill himself that first time. And uh, he never remembered he pulled him out of the garage. And so we had a conversation one day when he was working on his, all these board staff or something. And he asked me, he said, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. I can't figure this out. And I said, well, I was there. I pulled you out of the garage. And uh, he said, thank you. And um, so we had many conversations like that, helping each other piece things together. And um, I, uh, you know, so I, we got to reconnect. And uh, there was, you know, for me, you know, I could hold on and be angry and have all those resentments, but it doesn't do me any good. You know, having the compassion and understanding that my parents did the best they could and my father did the best he could, and, um, you know, I need to have that forgiveness so that I don't have to continue to relive that. And that's what I was doing. Until I had forgiveness and compassion for my life and being able to let things go, I was just reliving it. And it was just coming out in all ways in my life. And uh, and it was just eating me up inside. It wasn't hurting anybody but me. So um, I learned the path of forgiveness. And uh, I had... Worked, um, I had, uh, you know, even though there were, there were things, you know, we, we, when we, when I made my first amends list, there were those people that I felt needed to make amends to me, I didn't need to make amends to them, you know, I was in that place. But I later learned that, you know, I have a part in all those relationships, even with my mother and even with my father. And, um, you know, I, uh, had planned amends, uh, for each of them, for my part. And uh, and I didn't plan to make those amends, but my higher power presented me with a situation at various times where I could do that. And uh, it was very powerful for me with my father and with my mother. And uh, so that year after my father nearly died, he didn't die, he lived. And uh, we got to have some healing. And so for the first time in probably eight years, I wanted to have all the family together for Christmas. And um, so we had all the family come, and my father included. And uh, and it was I was just so excited. I was just filled with such joy. And I got home from work early that day, and my husband's an incredible cook. He's a chef. And um, he was going to prepare this huge meal. And I don't really cook all that much, so you know, I, I, did, I have a good picker. That sense, you know, I really do have a good picture. He cleans. He's a full partner. He cooks. He does everything. And uh, I came home, 
And some of you may know Mary Pearl, Mary P, I should say. And she has that story where her husband's drunk and he's in the bathtub. So I came home. My husband was in the bathtub and he was drunk. And the only thing that kept me from him was the door was locked. <laughs> and I uh, thought, oh my God, I can't prepare this meal. I don't know what I'm going to do. And um, I decided to... Um, I had enough recovery at that point that I was really clear that there wasn't anything I could do. But it was at a point where I was like, it was just, it was just this incredible moment for me. And I told him, he doesn't remember at the time, but I told him that I needed to go. And he doesn't remember telling me, telling him that I would be back for dinner, but I did say that and I left. And um, what I did was I went down to the beach and I prayed. And the sun set and I prayed. And I prayed for guidance. And I finally was at a point in my life and and in my self-esteem and my recovery that I was willing and recognizing that I might have to let my husband go. And um, that I couldn't continue to live and watch him him kill himself and watch him die. And uh, that's what it felt like. And... uh, so, you know, sunset, and I thought, well, I guess I'll go home. And I uh, got home, the whole family was there, dinner was cooked, the table was set, everyone was merry, and there were presents around the tree. Typical, right? And um, no one knew what had happened, no one knew why I wasn't there. And uh, but I, I could see it in my father's eyes when I walked in the door. And um, so we went about the motions of having the meal and doing the presents and then my father gave me his gift to me and it was a prayer on a plaque and I didn't bring it um, but uh, it was really profound and of course I couldn't keep it in anymore and I just burst out crying <laughs> because it was just it was about you know if you have a problem I'd be there and um, he knew he knew that Dan was struggling and having a hard time and because uh, he could see it and uh, so I, um, you know, we finished up the dinner and we didn't really talk, but I just felt the feelings and we said goodbye. And I knew enough at that point not to talk to an alcoholic while they're drinking. And so I wasn't about to have any kind of a conversation with him that night, but I knew that I had to have a conversation with him. And uh, before I could do that, I, I needed to have a plan. So I went to see my mother the next morning and... Um, and I and I told her, I said, you know, I can't do this anymore. And she says, well, then you can come stay with me. And, um, well, I don't know if I could do that either. <laughs> but I didn't have the heart to tell her. <laughs> oh, oh, I love my mother, but she's not the easiest person to live with. <laughs> and she says, well, then you should go live with your father. Because she knew I had this healing with my father and... And she says, well, then you should go live with your father in a big house. You've got all that room. Uh, I'm not sure I can do that here. <laughs> she says, why? I don't understand. And that's when I finally told my mother about the abuse. I never thought I could tell her. But I knew the secret was, was killing me inside because she didn't know. And there was a part of me that felt that she knew. And um, I finally told her 
And I'd always been afraid. I have had an understanding with my father. He said, you know, I understand you need to talk about this with the family. So you need to do what you need to do to take care of yourself. And um, and by this time, they, had, they hadn't completely divorced yet. And I was always in fear that it would make it worse. And, you know. And uh, so I um, finally told her. And uh, she just held me in her arms. It was a beautiful thing for my mother and I. She finally understood. She finally understood so much. And it was a real lesson for me. You know, I put walls up and keep people out. It was the same thing I felt from her growing up. I didn't know how to read her mind. She didn't know how to read mine. And, um, you know, if I want to have a relationship with somebody, I need to communicate with them. I need to let them know who I am. And uh, so I got the power to be honest with my mother who I was and what I'd been through. And uh, and so that was my men to her. And, and I, we kind of left it at that. And then I went home and I talked to Dan and I told him, I said, you know, I can't do this anymore. I can't live with active alcoholism. And, um, you know, I talked to my father and he had offered to have me come stay. And I said, oh, I don't know if I can do that, but... I was more ready to go live with my father than I was with my mother. <laughs> and we were in so much debt, there was no way I could have a place of my own. So we, uh, I moved in with my father. And uh, at that time, Dan decided, he said, well, if I get sober, can I come? I said, yeah. I still love you. It's not that I don't love you. I just don't want to live with this disease. And uh, at that time in his life, he tried several times before. He chose to get sober. And um, we had a good 10, 12 years of sobriety. And uh, it was a wonderful thing. And we got to grow and do things together. And it was like a whole, you know, different era of our lives together. And I had completely forgotten about what active alcoholism is and how I felt about it. And recovery went on. I did a lot of service work. And... Um, I'm sure I didn't think I could talk about one. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, and I, you know, in the beginning, I, I couldn't say no to things. And, um, but later I got to learn a balance in my life. As I worked the steps and worked through things, um, I understood that, you know, I needed to take care of myself. Um I learned that I wasn't in control, and it was okay to have my feelings, and I had a lot of acceptance about my past and about where I was, and so I um, I kept going, and I kept going for 20 years, and every year I've had some sort of a service position, and that kept me connected, and uh, you know it hasn't been easy, and this last couple of years it's been really hard. I could really relate to our our speaker last night because um, we had a relapse. Um, after it felt like everything was good, we just bought a house, we just had two brand new puppies, and everything was good. Um, he had a relapse, and um, and it was really different for me this time. And uh, I uh, I was really clear. You know, before I was so unclear, I wasn't really sure. This time I was really clear. There was enough of friends in the program, and I could be really clear about, you need to call your sponsor. You need you need to go to a meeting. You need to talk to somebody because I can't fix this for you. 
I can't do this for you. I can't help you. I can't even talk to you. Um, you know, it was hard. I got, you know, I've never been a very easy for me to get in touch with my anger, but I have to tell you, I was really, really angry at first. And, um, and anger for me is about fear. You know? And, um, I didn't talk about the trail yet. Let's put that up there. Because when I did the sixth step the first time, well, not the first time, well, the second or third time, we were getting ready to make our list and stuff, and I got stuck. And, um, they say to, well, I started drawing a picture. I did a circle, and I did circles inside a circle. And, um, and that's when I discovered my friend, Serenity the Turtle. And the center of all my character defects is fear. And the center of all my strengths is faith. And so it's up to me to decide which shell I'm going to show you, which shell I'm going to put out there. But the turtle reminds me of that. And um, so I know, you know, if I'm going to replace my fear, I've got to have faith. And I've got to trust in my higher power that there's a plan, you know. And I don't know what's in store for us, but I'm grateful for sobriety today. And I'm grateful that there's a willingness, because I love my husband so much. And um, I um, uh, let's see. I don't want to go with that. So, so the um. I want to talk a little bit more about my service because that's where I get to practice the tools of the program. It's really hard for me. You know, we talk about practicing this in all our affairs, but the easiest place for me to practice the tools of the program is in the fellowship with other people in the fellowship. And the first opportunities I have in doing that is actually being on committees and conferences. And, um, you know, I have gotten involved in public outreach, newsletter in our district, um, yeah, just a little bit of everything, um, up to district rep, and then gone on to area service to do different positions. And, you know, I, I do it for selfish reasons. You know, we, we, we do it to give back. I do it to give back, but really I do it for myself because it helps keep me connected. And I've had met some incredible people. And this last year when things have been really tough for me, the people in the program have me. Have me solid. I've been there when I didn't know what to do. It's so powerful for me. Because it's really easy, it's really easy when things get bad to replay those tapes of, you know, I'm less than, I'm not loved, you know, nobody cares. And it's not true. And I have to get beyond Anytime I'm one of those letters of halt, you know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and um, I have to get beyond that and get me in touch with my higher power and people in the program to help remind me of that when I can't remember when things are so bad. And um, and that's been it's been good for me because in the beginning it was really hard for me to ask for help. It was really hard for me to reach out and tell people the truth about what was going on and um, 
but I had to take care of myself. And I know today that it's okay. And um, so I um, have a, I have a uh, let's see, last time, sort of story. So I have to tell you that I did finally find a sponsor. <laughs> I, um, there were a lot of women in the program kept asking me to be their sponsor, and I didn't have a sponsor, so I didn't feel like I could be a sponsor, so I would have to say no. And um, it got to be a real drag. <laughs> and so I, I finally said, okay, i got to find a sponsor. i got to start doing this one-on-one and so that I can feel comfortable being somebody else's sponsor. And um, this beautiful woman in the program, um, she was chairing a committee, and, and she thought of me to, to be on the committee and help her um, with registration. And, and so I got to participate with her. And uh, we got to actually go to Montreal for this regional service seminar. And I was with her and her sponsor. And I just watched them all weekend, how wonderful it was to see the two of them. And, um, you know, we sat in that spirituality meeting on Sunday. And I knew what I wanted, but I was afraid to ask. And I just cried through the whole meeting. <laughs> and um, and she just she just sat by me. And um, finally still hadn't asked her, and we're getting our luggage. <laughs> we're back home, we're getting our luggage, and I finally turned to her, and I'm like in tears. I'm like, will you be my sponsor? She says, well, honey, I was wondering when you were going to ask me. <laughs> I'm like, crap. <laughs> so she got to be my sponsor and uh, for a year, and then she had to move. And uh, I thought, oh, crap. She's still a wonderful program, woman in the program, and I get to talk to her, but she's farther away, and she says, you know, you need somebody close by. She says, why don't you see, let's see if my, my sponsor be willing to be your sponsor. And so then I got, a, I got to have her sponsor as my sponsor. And we started working the steps, and again, i got to keep always working those steps, i got to tell you, because for me, if I'm not working the steps or I'm not going to a meeting, I'm not, I'm not well enough to be so okay that, that I that I have to be connected somehow to the program, whether it's working the steps, calling my sponsor, turning it over, praying, something. Otherwise I can right back there at step one. It's so easy. So um you know, and every time I work the steps something new comes up anyway, so it's a, it's a process. And I made that commitment that it's a lifelong process and I'm grateful for that. Um so I ended up uh and then she got sick, and then and she lives further away, so I ended up picking another sponsor. And the same thing, it's like, you know, I wondered when I was going to ask her, because, you know, it takes me a while to get up that courage. But, um, I, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think I want to just end on sharing some of the miracles, because um, I have been present enough today, because growing up, I really was numb. I really wasn't present. There's a lot of my childhood that I don't remember. And a lot of situations I don't remember because I can just, I'm really good at just tuning it out. And I learned that at a very young age. And um, today I can be present. And uh, it's, uh, when I'm present, the miracles happen in my life. And I can see those miracles. And when my father died, I had this, um, it was right after my 40th birthday and I finally started taking better care of my skin and everything. So I bought this skin lotion, and 
you know, I'd been using it for a year, and it wasn't any big deal, but after he died, I was in the bathroom, and I was just crying, you know, and I was just devastated, and I was grieving, and I picked up this little bottle, and I was holding it up, and getting ready to put some on, and it had a little thing on it. <laughs> it says, where there's, where there's hope, there can be faith, and where there's faith, miracles can occur. And um, I was really just what I needed. And um, and it's a real, and I know that today. Um, I know that when I can have faith, I can have miracles in my life. Because I know today I'm not alone. You loved me when I couldn't love myself, until I could love myself. You helped me feel my feelings so I could start to heal. And today, I don't, I hate this disease, but I love an alcoholic and it's okay. You gave me a belief in a higher power again. You gave me faith. You gave me back trust in other people. And because I was no longer focusing on the alcoholic and other people in my life and putting the focus back on myself, I discovered I had more time for myself. So I get to do some of those fun things that I didn't get to do growing up. And I get to have fun today. And so I get to discover those hidden talents. Um, and I've reestablished relationships with my family. My father died a few years ago, but he's still in my heart. And I have all of his books and all of his literature. And um, he's with me all the time. And um, my mother and I are best friends today. We exercise together. Um, we talk. And there's no more of that, that deep feeling anymore because I've been honest with her. And uh, my brothers, I didn't talk about that, but I found out later that I have two half-brothers and a sister, but I, um, you know, I have relationships with them today, and I accept what I can have with them. It's not the same, but it's it's there, and I can be honest with them and have a relationship with them today. Um, and I know I can only keep what I have, but if, if I'm willing to give it away and if I'm willing to participate... And, um, you know, one of the concepts, participation is the key to harmony. It's one of my favorites. And um, it keeps me going. And uh, I'm really grateful. And I, um, the thing that, that's a real big part of my service, I've done a lot of different types of service. Um, early on I did community service. I don't do that anymore. I only commit service um, commitments in the program today um, because that's all I have time for because I've got to balance my life. And um, Alateen for me today is is one of the most important service commitments that I have. Being able to be there for others so they can have a safe place to talk. And uh, I started with Alateen, um, and I'm a co-sponsor for a group in Santa Cruz. And uh, they're just incredible to be present for them. But I also started sponsoring a few years ago Alakid, which is 6 to 12-year-olds. And... Um, I thought I'd had some pretty intense experiences with Alateens, but you have no idea until you sit down with little kids. <laughs> you know, they really, they really get to my heart really fast, and they're not afraid to talk about things. And um, they don't always want to talk about things. They want to do activities. And we, we have some really creative 12-step activities that they do, and they keep creating new ones. It's great. And um, I just love them. They're incredible. And, um, you know, I... I um 
someone in the program a long time ago, I believe she's a trustee, she spoke at one of our conferences, and, you know, she talked about, you know, life is this unforgettable adventure. And, um, you know, I never know if I'm going to be up or down on that roller coaster. Um, but I'm on that roller coaster with all of you. And uh, I don't have to do it by myself. And I'm a big believer in, you know, taking my turn to keep this fellowship strong. And uh, I just completed my, my turn at being NOCAP sponsor of the Big Allison Conference last weekend. So I've been a little tired um, and wondered how today was going to go. Um, but uh, it was uh, it was a really good experience for me. Um, and I'm glad I did it. I learned a lot. And I had a huge awareness on that Sunday morning. And again, I know it's not good to, to figure things out when you're too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And I hadn't slept much at all that weekend. And we had a lot of sick kids from the swine flu. But it's um, we got through it. And uh, I knew enough to talk to my sponsor before I had to feel like I had to talk to one of the kids. And, uh, you know, it's it's hard because, you know, when you're working with teens and they're, they're doing their service commitments, you want to treat them like adults. You want to give them every opportunity to do what they need to do. But then i got to remember that they don't always behave like adults. <laughs> you know, they're going to be teenagers, and, and that's just who they are and where they're, at, where they're at, and I don't have to take that personal. And when I get too tired, I have a tendency to take that too personal. And... Uh, but it was okay. My sponsor was there for me, and I'm really grateful that she was to help remind me of that. And um, because growing up, you know, I never felt, I never felt, um, I wasn't popular. You know, I was just there, and I was hardly there growing up. And um, you know, I don't, um, I keep, I'm there today, and I made that commitment to continue to be there. Um, and I recognized some sadness because I didn't feel like I was, I was, um, I was that popular one the teens wanted to hang out with that weekend. They actually wanted to hang out with somebody else, and that was okay. I had to accept that, you know. But they still um, wanted to. Uh, we still had moments where we could talk and respect each other and work with each other. And um, you know, as a sponsor, it's a hard role sometimes. Um, especially at a conference, we've got to remind them of safety requirements and this or that. So you're not real popular. Um, but if you do it with love and with grace, it's okay. And you do it with the program. And if you screw up like I did during the weekend, you can go and make an amends and it's okay. So um, that's recovery in action. So um, we're almost there. Um, I just want to thank you guys. Um, for this weekend and um, being here, and I want to um, I want to thank my husband. I don't know if he's in the room, but I just want to thank him for having the willingness to come this weekend and be here, even though he's in a lot of pain. And um, I want to thank AA for being there for him. Thank. this recording. If you are interested in other speaker tapes or CDs from AA or Al-Anon, please contact us at Sound Solutions, toll free 1-877-893-2777. 
or visit us on the web at soundsolutionsrecording.com. We are also available to cover your recording and sound system needs. Thank you for allowing us to be of service and carrying the message.